You know, there's this, uh, <laughs> there's this time in my life where uh, I was almost entirely certain that my parents were uh, the smartest human beings on the entire planet, right? <laughs> and the naivety of childhood is kind of funny like that. And, and I'm not trying to tell you that uh, my parents aren't smart or that I think they're dumb now. I'm just saying that, you know, they're normal human beings. They like don't actually have a factual answer to every single iteration of a four-year-old's favorite question. Why? <laughs> right? But the thing is that my parents were really, really good at the game. Right? They gave me answers to every single, like, mommy, daddy, why, whether or not it was scientifically factual or they could back it up with, uh, you know, some uh, reference or not. Right? Uh, and the cool thing about being four was like, I just took their word for it, you know, because like, what else do you do when your mom tells you that the sky is blue because it's God's favorite color? You still believe it because it is, right? <laughs> The thing is, they, they answered my questions with, with answers that, that my little developing mind could, could understand and comprehend at the time. And, and life was great. You know, life was really, really good until I learned some things, right? which seems to have coincided perfectly with uh, that developmental stage where as humans, we go from thinking our parents are the smartest people in the whole world to being absolutely certain that they are clueless about all things. And they're just straight up dumb sometimes. Right? So when I began to understand the world a little bit more deep and I began to realize my parents may be like, man, Maybe they weren't entirely forthright with me as a child about, you know, why the sky is blue. Like my worldview kind of began to crumble. And, and you all have that existential moment, right? Where you're like, what if everything's a lie, right? <laughs> it's not, but you know, you have that moment, you know, and, and, but here's the thing, those moments and those instances are, are, are where you start to grow as, as a human, right? I, I had to reckon with the fact that uh, my parents were not supercomputers. Uh, they had not like downloaded all of the information from all those volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica that we had in our house that some dude sold us at the door, right? Back in the nineties. And uh, they certainly weren't able to translate like all the mysteries and secrets of the natural world into a language that like a pre-K kid could digest. So they told me, well, would get me to probably stop talking, right? They were in this instance, not what I had told myself that they were. And so I had to go through this period of deconstruction that, that happened while I began to see my parents exactly as they really are. And what I found is that they are, were, and will continue to be forever humans who loved me so much that they pandered to my incessant questioning rather than telling me to just sit down and shut up. There were people who cultivated in me like a deep love and desire to learn and to, to ask questions like why and how. And perhaps the, the most beautiful thing that I found is that I simply cannot fathom the depths of their love for me because I've hung out with some four-year-olds and man, it's exhausting, right? I can't fathom 
their experience of watching my life unfold and going through uh, the mess of being my dad, my mom, right? Raising a kid like me. And more, more uh, is about to like imminently be revealed to me about what this looks like, uh, like having a baby soon. But, you know, it's still like going to be a mystery to me, their experience. But I've found that the more that I seek to understand uh, their experience, the more I open myself up to really understanding them and by proxy who I am and my place in their world. You know that we live in this world, right? We live in a world where seeking and, and, and curiosity and asking questions like why and how is, is widely celebrated. We, we give children reading comprehension tests. We, we have this critical thinking thing that we want them to do. We want them to ask questions. We want them to figure out why the world is the way that it is. We value asking the questions how and why. And, and a lot of great good has come to our world because of this. And yet, somehow, when it comes to things of faith, the church is seen as having a completely different kind of view. We're seen as, as taking more of a, a curiosity killed the cat type of mindset when, when people both inside and outside of the church begin to ask critical questions. It makes us uncomfortable. And I think that it makes us uncomfortable because like we don't have the answer, right? Or we're afraid that the answer will make us think differently or will challenge the way that we see and view and live in our reality. And so we kind of shy away from engaging with this and we just, we just fall back on like, oh, well, you know, you just got to have faith which is true. Like, don't get me wrong. Like faith is an integral part of the Christian experience, but having faith doesn't have to mean accepting something blindly. See, I think that that part of having faith, biblically speaking means exercising our curiosity for the sake of rightly representing Jesus in the world. See, if you go out into this community, out into the world around our church, you're going to find that people have a lot of questions. There's this divine curiosity that God has put into every single human heart. And, and part of who we are called to be as a church in this time and place is to be a place that, that fosters these types of discussion that, that allows people to be honest about the questions that they have about God, the questions that they have about faith and the, the questions that they have about the Bible and the, the, the Christian journey. But in order for us to, to really be a community that makes people out there here, we've got to become a community that fosters curiosity amongst ourselves. We've got to become people who wonder people who ask questions, people who seek to challenge our, our own beliefs and assumptions in order to get a right sized view of who God really is and what it, what it really means to follow Jesus. 
So the Apostle Paul, he was writing a letter to the Ephesian Christians, and, and he, he wrote this prayer down for them. And it, it's, it's really his expression uh, of what his deep desire for them is as a community and as people who are just kind of floundering around trying to figure out this new Jesus movement thing that they've been swept up into. And so he says this to them in uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, starting at verse 16. And he says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, hey, guys, I just pray that, that you're strengthened by the spirit and, and rooted and grounded in love so that you will have the ability to comprehend how vast God's love is. Comprehend. That means not just knowing it up here in our heads, but knowing it down here in our hearts, not some dead knowledge, but, but a living, breathing, critical understanding of God's vast love that somehow we know what to do with, that somehow makes us go and be the representative of God to the world. And so, so for the early church, this meant that they were, they were going to have to do something different. They're going to have to open up their minds because somehow the vastness of God's love meant that this Jesus, this Jewish Messiah, he wasn't just for the Jews. And I think that we've already made it clear in this sermon series that this also means that Jesus isn't just for church people. But all of this, the ability to comprehend is a condition. It's a, it's a consequence of being rooted and grounded in love. And, and that is the starting point for curiosity. See, curiosity for us, for as Christians, is a desire to fully know and embody the fullness of God. And this is much different than a posture that says, sit down, shut up and have faith. It's much different than the culture that a lot of strands of the church have adopted. It's, it's a posture that, that instead welcomes questions and seeks to, to understand God in God's fullness rather than in our own limited human capacity. You see, Jesus was a guy that, 
fielded a lot of questions. He dealt with a lot of people who were quite unsure about the things that he was teaching about himself and about God and about heaven and the world and, and all of this stuff that was radical and revolutionary to his time. And, and sometimes his response to these people who had these questions was kind of harsh like ye of little faith or something of the like. But, and I say this pretty confidently, those people who Jesus rebuked when they had questions were people whose heart wasn't rooted and grounded in love. They were people whose line of questioning was not so that they might understand but so that they might bring themselves some glory by, by taking down this trending new rabbi in town. But what we tend to do is we tend to take those instances in the Bible and we say like, Hey, look, Jesus said, have faith. Don't question him. The Bible says it. I believe it. And that settles it. And that's just not really good enough. That's really not quite how it is. And so uh, I want to kind of like turn our attention to a story that often gets misrepresented. It's a story about one of the disciples and it, it takes place after uh, Jesus is resurrected uh, from the grave. And it's a story uh, about a man named Thomas. You might know Thomas uh, by his full legal name that we've given him in the church. It's doubting Thomas, right? Guy's got like the worst legacy ever. And I mean, we don't call Peter uh, denying Peter or like Matthew. We don't call him scam artist, Maddie, but somehow like Thomas does like one thing wrong. And we're like, oh, that's his name forever. He's doubting Thomas. Uh, deal with it. Right. So what happens is like sometime after, um, after Jesus's resurrection, uh, almost all of the disciples are hanging out in the house. You know, there's 10 of them because Judas was obviously gone. And, and Thomas, I don't know what Thomas was doing. He was like out shopping or fishing or, you know, just wanted to get away from these guys because they were annoying him. And, and so Jesus shows up in the house and, and everybody sees him and they're like, Oh my gosh, like Jesus, you're here. Like, this is incredible. Uh, we see you. And then um, Jesus leaves. Thomas shows up and they're like, dude, Jesus was just here. And he's like, uh, no, I don't think so. Right. So this is, this is what happens. It comes from uh, the gospel of John uh, chapter 20. It says, but, but Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, Hey, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger on the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. So a week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. I mean, come on, like 
who's not with Thomas, right? Like your buddies are all just sitting at home. You come back and they're like, hey, man, Jesus was just here. And you know, you know that he's dead. I mean, just, just imagine that scene. Put, put yourself there, and you've been through the ringer the past few days. Jesus, he, this man that you followed is gone. You're exhausted with grief, and, and these dudes who are clearly out of their mind want to convince you that a dead man was just here. And so when Jesus shows up, we get this beautiful and, and kind of weird scene where, where Thomas's requirements for believing that Jesus has been raised from the grave are met. And, and Jesus seemingly, the way that we read it, rebukes him. But look at what Jesus actually says to Thomas. I mean, simply ask him a question. Have you believed because you have seen me? Well, duh, everybody at this point that believed, believed because they saw Jesus. He's not like the only one. And then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And what we need to understand is that this does not mean that those who see and come to believe aren't blessed. Jesus is simply making a statement of a future fact because we, you and me and every single person who has called on the name of Jesus from the moment of Jesus's ascension into heaven until this point have believed without physically coming face to face without having seen. In fact, Thomas's words, Thomas's response, when he realizes that this is Jesus raised from the dead, he says, my Lord and my God, they're, they're the ultimate confession of faith because the term my Lord and my God was only used to describe the God of Israel, the, the creator God, the, the God of the cosmos. And so G Thomas has made this huge confession of faith. And he's, he's gotten to the core of Jesus's true identity. And yes, he's gotten there through a moment of doubt, but Jesus doesn't reprimand him. He doesn't say Thomas, ye of little faith. Instead, he, he blesses all of those who will follow after Thomas in the faith. All those who will declare that Jesus is the Lord of creation without having had the luxury of physically seeing Jesus face to face. And, and speaking in literary terms, this is the climax of John's gospel. It's the moment in which the disciples finally get it for John. They, they finally understand who this man that they have followed for three years and devoted their entire lives to is. And the climactic moment comes at the hands of doubting Thomas. And so tell me, does Jesus scorn those who doubt? with a sincere heart. 
See, Jesus knew Thomas. Jesus saw that his heart was rooted and grounded in love. And Jesus took that and he used it to ignite the movement that was to come. A whole community of people would come and who would read and learn from this account that Jesus Christ is Lord. And immediately after this story in John's gospel, he tells us why he wrote in the first place. Why did John write the gospel of John? And he says this, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And that through believing you may have life in his name. So it's really a shame. It's a shame that we've taken this story and used it as a means to say, you shouldn't have doubts and you shouldn't have questions. Because honestly, it's a story about how one man's doubts and one man's questions and curiosity led to a stunning and full understanding of who Jesus is. And isn't that what we want for ourselves? Isn't that what we want for others? To fully understand, to, to comprehend the fullness of who Christ is? So I don't know like what Thomas was thinking about Jesus before this moment, but by having some curiosity, he arrived at, at a much deeper understanding. He didn't say, I won't believe ever. He said, I want to experience something. So Jesus gave him an experience. And that kind of curiosity, that's something that we need to encourage. We need to have the guts to, to think and to ask questions and even critical questions about faith, uh, about God, about our Bible, in order to truly seek after the fullness of God. You see, we've all got this box. It's a, a box that we have created in our minds and it's, it's walls are the limits of our imagination. And those limits are, are put in place by our own experience, by our, our own education, our own theological understanding and upbringing and our own opinions. And what we do is we, we take God we put God inside of this teeny tiny box that we have inside our finite human minds. And we say, here it is. I've figured out God. This is who God is. But more dangerously, this is all God is. And it's really comfortable to have God in this little box because we control it. We get to decide for ourselves how we will experience God and we get to tell others how they have to experience God too. But we can't keep God in the box because the God, the box can't 
contain God. And by keeping God in the box, we're really depriving ourselves of the ability to seek out and comprehend the fullness of who God is. It's been my experience that, that the more questions that I ask, the bigger and more incredible God gets. And so we've got to get comfortable being curious, asking questions. We, we need to be exploring what God has been up to throughout history and what God is up to right now. Otherwise, our faith is kind of weak. When we become certain about the wrong things, when we, we trust the box more than we trust God, then our faith isn't really in God. Our faith is in ourselves. But humility allows us to recognize that, that our box is just not big enough. And so we need to ask questions. We, we need to experience faith through the, the lives and the experiences of others. We need to get down to the, the nitty gritty stuff of seeking to fully comprehend God so that we can more accurate, accurately represent God to the world around us. Because these people out there, people in here, people, people have questions. We're curious. And so what are we supposed to do with that? Do we continue to just take our questions and our curiosity and, and stuff it all down and, and make God small and digestible? Or do we venture out into the world? And I think that you know the answer to the question. So what will you do with your curiosity? I have an idea. And um, might be a little bit crazy, but last week we told you to throw a party for a stranger. So, I mean, it's not that crazy. So, but what if you asked some questions this week? What if you listened to someone else? And so last week we were like, hey, go throw a three minute party for a stranger and tell them how uh, much Jesus loves them and, and how great they are. What if this week, what if this week, you gave someone a three minute press conference, three minutes of uninterrupted time. That's uninterrupted by you in case you had any questions, uninterrupted time to answer one question. How have you experienced God in your life? I think that you'll be surprised by the answers that you get. And I think that if you do this and you listen, listen to understand rather than listen to respond, that God will jump right on out of that little box that you're keeping God in. I think that you'll start to develop more questions that, that your curiosity will be piqued and that you will begin to explore the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God and God's great love. So let's pray. God, we invite you to speak to us. We invite you to move in our hearts to 
help us drop the strongholds that we have around our heart. And honestly, the stronghold that we try to keep you in, in our minds, help us to seek out new ways to experience just how vast your love is for the world and how you're inviting us to partake in the fullness of your mission to our world. God, pique our curiosity. Help us to see the experiences of others as a means to become more aware, more understanding of your actions and activity in this world, and more tuned in to the call that you've placed on our lives to, to be your representatives in the world. God, we love you and we, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.